Well, today's message is the last in this series in chapters about end of 15 through 16, which I've titled in the book of Acts, Unprecedented, because there are so many unprecedented things that happen. There are unprecedented decisions that take place where they say, all you need to have a relationship with God the Father is Jesus and a faith in his work. That's it. Unprecedented decision. There was no keeping of certain laws, but what happens is when God changes your heart in a decision you make to, um, with regard to, here's my life, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, he then makes your heart want to follow every one of his good and loving laws. And so there's unprecedented decisions, there's an unprecedented disagreement. So right after this agreement where they decide this decision, then you have one of the, the most profound disagreements in the Bible between uh both Paul and Barnabas, at that time still named Saul. Or, um, no, wait a second. He is called Paul at that point. Both Paul and Barnabas um, disagree. And then you have this unprecedented, we talked last week, Peter and I, and I'm grateful for Peter and for the opportunities we have to kind of do this little kind of thing back and forth. But we talked about destinations. As they went on their journey, as they went on this missionary trip with Silas, Paul found people that he didn't expect and he went to places that he wasn't counting on going to and then he found that in the work of God there were some purposes that he didn't see weren't something that was about what he thought God would be doing. And so today we're going to talk about this last one which is unprecedented direction. Where do you look when you're feeling down? Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would take these moments and speak to each of our hearts, that God, we would be the kind of people that when situations look really bad, when our circumstances seem imprisoning, when we're in those places where we feel bound and broken, help us to do what we see in your word again and again. We see specifically today what Paul and Silas did. Help us to look up. Help us to put our eyes on you. From where does our help come from? We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We lived through an incredibly unprecedented time with illness and anxiety and fear. I mean, we've gone through a year of pandemic and there's still a sense of what's going to happen. How do we still navigate through this? Although we're not the first to live through unprecedented times. Um, this has happened in the past and people have found ways to go through it. I was reading in a book called Leadership in Turbulent Times written by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And, and I love her study. She has one on Lincoln and the, a team of rivals and things like that. And In this book, she tells the story of the remarkable leadership of four presidents who led the U.S. through unprecedented Difficulty. And one of those presidents that she talks about is Franklin Delano Roosevelt during the Great Depression. She writes, Secretary of Labor Francis Perkins said of the deepening depression, looking back on those days, I wonder how we ever lived through them. It's hard to reconstruct the atmosphere of 1933 and to evoke the terror caused by unrelieved poverty and prolonged unemployment. She continues, American industry was paralyzed. A quarter of the labor force was unemployed. And the hours of those who were working had been 
radically reduced. People had lost farms and homes and small businesses that actually had been in the family for generations. Thousands of banks collapsed. And I thought of this, you know, just some of you who have, you know, you're kind of depending on those retirement um, funds or, or you're in those stages. Thousands of banks collapsed, taking with them the deposits and savings of millions of people. All that stuff you'd work for, just imagine, it was gone like that. Starving people wandered the streets. Food riots broke out. And she writes, the future of democracy appeared grim. For millions of people, such hard times were reckoned, and they actually thought this as the end times. They thought they were in the end times. Anybody ever thought you're in the end times? She says, the great city of Chicago seemed to have died. One resident recalled as she walked through this, the once swarming shopping district on the loop, she writes, um, she quotes, the few people I saw seemed to be walking in a trance. There was something awful, abnormal in the very stillness of those streets. Remember the shots we had in the pandemic when you would look at different places like Minneapolis or Wuhan or any of these places? And it was just like deathly still. What I love is this little paragraph that she has that I didn't know about, um, and Curran's good one um, adds this in the story. She writes, The inauguration day of Franklin Delano Roosevelt began in prayer and ended in action. Now, I'm not vouching for his faith except for this. Early that Saturday morning, prior to the official inaugural ceremony, FDR invited his entire cabinet, staff, family, and friends to a special prayer session at St. John's Episcopal Church. He says, a thought to God is the right way to start off my administration. It will be the means to bring us out of the depths of despair. That's what he told the people that he invited to this. And after 20 minutes service came to an end, Roosevelt remained on his knees, his face just cupped in his hands. And they looked at him. Later that morning, as he waited for the ceremony to begin, the president-elect improvised his opening sentence to his inaugural address. And he began it this way. This day, this is a day of national consecration. This is a day, in a sense, is what he's saying, set apart. Because of all the despair and all that we are seeing as we look at our problems and we look down at this. It's a day for us to set it apart to begin with and look up. In unprecedented times, and you may have been going through this or you may have someone around you who is, the direction you look is the difference in how you face whatever difficult situation is before you. The question is this, where's your focus? As I was reading this and as we read through Acts chapter 16, Paul is in Philippi and in verses 16 through 40 as we go through this passage this morning, Paul and Silas do something unprecedented. In the worst of circumstances, they look up and they praise God. Some of you know this story. You've grown up in church and you've maybe heard this. Some of you, this may be the first time you've heard this story. But they do something unprecedented. 
They pray and they praise God in the midst of this. They had been beaten. They had been stripped and they had been beaten with rods. They had been thrown into a prison, a very dark, dank prison, kind of an inner cell. And they had been clamped their feet to stocks that would have been painful. I was in Philippi when I was in my college break when I was at Wheaton and we, I did the summer kind of abroad and I remember going there and they showed us the, the uh, prison that was the prison of Philippi of the city and uh, I wanted to show you these slides but then I thought the slideshow um, isn't going to work because people don't use slides anymore. So anyway, and you'd be bored but here it is, I'm standing there and I'm going... Here is the place, in this place, wet, cold, damp, beaten. Everything seems to turn in a direction. The moment they stepped on that boat and went to Macedonia, after God called them in a vision, it seemed to go downhill. And in that moment, where their eyes could have easily looked down, they looked up. So let's read these verses. Verses 16 through 18 of this chapter, it says, one, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. So they had come to the city, they looked for a synagogue, couldn't find the synagogue, but they found people, because normally, if you didn't have enough Jewish people to have a synagogue, and, and, and they're, you know, here they're coming here going, they have a vision to go over there. Come on, tell us about the gospel. They get there, and there's not even a, the Jewish synagogue where there would be lots of Jews where Paul would normally go. He gets there and by a river because he can't meet in the synagogue unless there's a certain amount of people. Are are some a few ladies praying? One of them just a worshiper of God, which in a sense means seeking after God. Hadn't even become a Jew converted yet, and so there they are. They go down there, and here's this girl on their way down, as they would go down there normally to meet to pray. They probably said, let's meet every day. They went down there to meet to pray. As they're going there, there's this girl who is um, possessed, or, or what it, the scripture really is the word demonized. It means there's a sense of influence or control. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They have come to tell you how to be saved. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? That's not kind of what you would think. This went on day after day. So Paul, he keep going down there every day. This girl's doing it with the Spirit. Until Paul got exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly, it left her. So let's just talk a little bit about that paragraph and what's happening here. First, just a quick comment on this section that he called the we section. This is for if you're studying Acts and you want to know and understand Acts, Luke writes Acts, but Acts only has Luke with him traveling from time to time. And so as you read through Acts, he's often saying they, they, they. And now, if you go back to last week, In verse 10 of chapter 16 is the first time he moves from they to we. So he is, in Troas, joined the group. It says, concluding that God has called us. And so as you continue and you look at this, in verse 40, you'll see again. So in this section in Philippi, 
Luke is with them. And so in Luke uh, verse 40, it says, then they left town. He's saying the, they went on and Luke must have gone back in my guess. And Pete's uh, uh, biblical critics guess that he was going back to Troas. But then in, 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 as you continue on, you'll see that in, in, in uh, verse, chapter 20, verses 5 through 6, he joins them again. I won't read through that. And then the final we section is in Acts chapter 27 through 28 is when he's on his way, um, Paul is, to Rome where he'll be on trial. So those are the three sections where Luke is actually with them. Um, what I think is interesting is when he's with them, you get more ID, you know, more eyewitness detail than you do at other points. In fact, uh, New Testament scholar Craig Keener writes, it is no coincidence that the we narratives provide the most detailed accounts in Acts. The missionaries' brief time in Philippi, catch this, received more detailed attention than the 18 months in Corinth and as much as the two years in Asia. So I think that's interesting. So it's when, when, when Luke is there, he's giving you what he sees. And the rest of it he's relying on and he's condensing as he's been told from other eyewitnesses. The next thing I just want to just mention as we look at this paragraph is about the, the slave girl. You have to ask yourself, this girl who has this um, ability to f- tell fortunes and has a spirit of divination as a, it would be. And, and in the Greek, it's actually these words, pneuma. Pythonus, and, and, and it basically is a python spirit, which was well known in that day. This python spirit was the mythical spirit that guided people at the Oracle of Delphi, where there would be a temple or temple priestesses who, who uttered prophecies while they would be under a trance. Pagan generals throughout history relied heavily on shamans and fortune tellers, and they would go to these priestesses who would be um, filled with a spirit of this python god and and where they would ask for what would happen in the battle in order that they might inspire their troops because they had a a favorable um, prophetic word so someone with her abilities would have a incredible clientele in philippi because it was a newly made city of, of Roman retired soldiers, okay? So you, you ha- that's kind of the picture. Here they are, they're walking along in this place where there's a lot of Roman retired soldiers who are probably excited about this person who can, you don't have to go to Delphi to get it, you can go right here to this young girl who has this python spirit. And Luke is really clear that this slave girl was demonized. She would come under the control and influence of a demonic spirit. And the demons would, it would, spirit would fill this girl. And, and no doubt, as you kind of that, like I said, what is this? Why is there, why are they saying what they're saying? Why is the spirit giving almost credence to Paul? Why, why is the spirit saying, yes, this is, this is a good thing? As one commentator said, there's no doubt seeing a rival that it could not defeat this spirit resorted to flattery. It cleverly exalted the girl's position by having her assume the role of community advisor. It'd be as if she was saying, so take what she said is this, I, your trusted seer, give my approval to these men. They offer a way of salvation. I offer a way of salvation. We're together in the business of helping people. 
That's kind of the translation. That's what's going on. Because the spirit knows the spirit in Paul is way too strong. And so hoping to avoid a direct confrontation with the spirit of God in Paul, it hoped to ride on the coattails of Christianity. Hoping to secure the goodwill of Paul and Silas. Kind of like there's room for both of us in this, right? It's what they call syncretism. It, it happens so often when people go to, uh, missionaries go to other places and you bring the gospel and then before you know it, whatever other customs and things are, are, are kind of joined together so now you don't have a pure sense of what it means just to follow Jesus Christ. And that's what's kind of happening here. And, and, and it's just kind of at a certain point Paul goes, forget this. None of this is going to happen. And so after several days of hearing this, he, his patience kind of comes to an end. And, and you have to read this. He doesn't turn to the girl, says he said to the what? The demon. I command you in the name of Jesus come out of her. And instantly left her. Now let's read what it goes on to say. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. You just destroyed our business. So they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the authorities at the marketplace. And the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. And they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So just real quickly on this whole comment on the slave girl and their mob reaction. What you have to understand is again, this girl's probably 14 or 15 years of age. And they as masters of her... She's their servant slave, had no problem with this demonic thing controlling her and doing whatever it did to her. I mean, just think of it this way. It'd be like a 14 or 15 year old and a pimp has no problem having this 14 or 15 year old sell her body, be um, destroyed by drugs. Why? Because of profit. That's what they're upset about. And what I think is interesting, again, there's just a few Jews there. They're already, you can see in Philippi, and you can see early on, there is an anti-Semitism even in this area. It kind of justified why they went after these Jews who, in in those days in, in Rome, they tolerated Judaism. But they didn't like it. Because it went against the many gods that they served. And so it says the mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Don't just run by that. They charged them with creating an uproar and creating confusion and a riot. And so they charged them and punished them and imprisoned them without a proper trial. They don't even ask who they are. They have no idea that Paul's a Roman citizen. And so they throw him into jail. And they were severely beaten. Okay, catch that. They are hurting Paul and Silas. This is literal pain, not just psychological pain. They're experiencing the, you know, things getting, going from worse from from good to worse when they made this trip over and now it's about as bad as it can be. And they're thrown into prison and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet 
in the stocks. What would you do? What are you doing? In your place right now, when you might be feeling, yeah, you maybe haven't been beaten with rods, right? You're not literally imprisoned, but maybe you feel or have had that from illness or, or you've had circumstances that have turned so south on you, whether it be in your job or whether it be in a marriage or whether it be with family or whether it be just even your own psychological state. What would you, what do you do? What did they do? I was, um, on Friday, was, and I, I was writing in my journal, and some of you know I journal, and so it helps me stay in touch with what's going on internally. And I was, I was noticing that I'd been feeling for the last four or five days, um, kind of down, you know, a little depressed, not sure what's going on. Trying, and I didn't want to get, spend a lot of time thinking about it and and kind of delving into. Well, it could, it could you know, it could be just a feeling. You know, how introspective you want to be. And, and then I, I noticed too, um, there was a bit of self pity. Anybody ever have any self pity going on in your life? And I was noticing how all this was affecting others. And I was thinking about just church. And then I was thinking about. I remember that, that thought came to me. I said, "What?" How do I get out of this? Is what I was thinking, and I'm just, and all of a sudden it just hit me. This is so, this is show so oh, stupid. Your your pastor is anyway. It hit me. I'm preaching on this Sunday. <laughs> I'm preaching on exactly what you're supposed to do. And so I just turned on worship music. I don't care what worship music you like. Let's turn on worship music. And I began to just start writing like I, I, like share with people. If you want joy, always go to this cousin thankfulness because thankfulness will lead you into joy. And I just started writing down all the things I had to be thankful for. And God just kind of lifted me out of that. Now I'm not saying this for people who are, I've experienced really deep depression that takes, you know, I think more work. I'm not making it a simple thing. There's all kinds of things we could go into that. But I'm just talking about when you're, you're heading down south. One of the greatest things you can do is praise God. One of the greatest things you can do is put yourself in an environment where you begin to hear worship of God. So, as we read these verses, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay? That's what they decided to do. And the the other prisoners were listening And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Not just theirs, every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped and so he drew the sword to kill himself. Like I said, there's a Roman area and and Romans soldiers took their oath seriously. You put these guys and make sure they don't get in any way out of here. Because they're known to do some kind of tricky things. He takes the sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they 
shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into his house. Oh, I should just say, um, because I don't want to forget this, immediately baptized. Uh, We are having a baptism service on August 4th. And I encourage you, that Wednesday night, to go to Lake Independence. It's one of these wonderful experiences. The reason they're immediately baptized is because one of your first steps of obedience after a private personal confession of faith to Jesus is to move to a place of a public confession of Jesus. And one of the ways that God ensures for us to root in and anchor our faith is in this symbolic baptism that says, I have been completely forgiven. My sins have been washed away. And I die to that and I rise again and I join with not only Jesus the rest of my life, but I join with his followers, his church. And so he immediately is baptized. He brought them into the house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Praise, folks, is important to your faith walk. It is the one thing, if you, if you want to learn not to go like this, it is the one thing, it is the practice of praise that helps you in your walk with Jesus. I was thinking about it, you know, when we walk normally, most people do not walk like this, right? Nor do they walk like this. The customary way of walking, just physically, is to walk kind of like this. So that as you walk, you can kind of see here and see the perspective here. But you also, at the light of the heavens, inform everything so you can see where you're going. So what happens physically is somewhat true spiritually, but just, it's a little counterintuitive. When things get tough on a physical trail, what do you do? You, you begin to bend your head down a little bit. You, you look because you want to make sure that you're not going to fall and you keep your balance. And so you take away your, you don't look as much up here as you begin to focus down here. Now this is counterintuitive because we do this physically. We also do this in our flesh with regard to the way we walk with God at times. When things get tough in our life, it's really easy to start focusing, just like you do when you're physically on a tough trail or a tough walking space, to look down at your problems, your circumstances, and to try and figure it out. I'm going to get all this together. That's not bad to kind of say, God, help me see this and understand it. But here's the thing. It's counterintuitive to walk in the Spirit. Because in the Spirit, you don't walk like this like you do physically when you're coming off a tough trail, you actually walk like this. You put your head up and you look to God and you allow praise to fill your heart because when the light of God and who he is begins to fill you, you begin to see who he is. You begin to see how adequate he is. You begin to look at him and realize he has all the wisdom that's necessary. He has everything that is, is that, that your heart longs for right now. Right? And one other thing that happens that's so incredible is you look to your father and you really believe you're your heavenly father. There's this incredible thing that happens. You as his son or daughter also look to him and you see not only is he the creator of all and he has all this wisdom and all this power and he's so adequate and can handle everything. He's the king. Your father rules everything. And you're his son and daughter. And if he rules everything, don't you think he'll rule in your life? 
So as we were singing these songs, and I'm so glad you chose those songs because, you know, they're battle songs. But the, what I love about it is it's this idea that in the night you sing in praise. You, you know the battle belongs to who? The Lord. In your life right now, who does the battle belong to? And what does he call you to do? Look to him, pray, praise him, and allow his wisdom. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It may be at times. The Lord has said to me over a season here now, he says, just watch. Doesn't mean I'm not doing things. I'm paying attention to do only what he calls me to do. I only want to do what he wants me to do. I only want to obey his voice. So if, if God says to me, Kevin, in the midst of something that's difficult and that's got my heart and I'm looking, he, he says, you know what, this is what I want you to do, then I do it. That is the way that you will walk in spiritual victory. Then you look at these guys, they're in this prison. Here's what happens. Praise is a weapon, you guys. It's a mighty weapon of God. He gives it to you to yield it in such a way that you can come against whatever's coming against you. Praise invites the work of God into your very situation. And in fact, there seems to be a direct correlation of praise with the way he works, even physically to some degree. Look at it, it says here, around midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly, in the midst of praise, God begins to work. Praise is a weapon against the lies of Satan in our own circumstances it, it roots you back into the truth of who God is and who you are. And I know this with certainty. I've worked with people who have been demonized. This is the honest truth. If you want to begin to see this demonic thing begin to shrink back and not want to be dealt with or hide, and there's all kinds of things, lies that happen, but if you want to deal with it, start praising God. It is amazing. It's like they can't stand it. It's like it causes confusion in their head. And I really believe there are spirits that are out there. This is, when, when, when Jesus talks about a spiritual realm, there is, if you had your, the veil pulled back, you'd be able to see that in a sense. And when praise begins to flow from your mouth, it causes confusion in their heads. Praise is a weapon, but praise is warfare as well. When you take this weapon, you, you, we get this idea, it's like one blow and it's done. It has to be repeated. It's a struggle. You, when you think of warfare, it, it's something you do. A battle is something that, you know, it's not always a one time you win. It's a struggle. So I'm not going to, when you're going through a difficult time, there is no doubt it's going to be a struggle. It's the same way with forgiveness. When you forgive someone, you go, okay, this person has betrayed me. It's what, you know, how in the world can you forgive them? I'm talking about big things. A lot of people think, well, once I forgive, it's done. Well, no, you, the decision of forgiveness, you need to make. But I can tell you this, you'll probably decide that again and again and again and again. The first one's essential. Just like in your faith walk, the first one where you open your heart to Jesus and allow him to begin to work in you is essential. I recognize my sin, I need my need of him. But every decision every day after that is still, not that's not about your salvation, now it's about sanctification, now it's about walking with him. Every decision's important, so also with praise. It's warfare. Psalm 149, 6-9 says this, God's high and holy praises fill their mouths, for their shouted praises are the weapons of war. These warring weapons will bring vengeance on the nations and every resistant power to bind 
Kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. Praise-filled warriors will enforce the judgment decreed against their enemies. This is the honor he gives to all his godly lovers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Your weekly coming in, in setting aside time is not a brownie. Ch- you know, it's not like God has on the kitchen refrigerator. Oh, Kevin was there today. Good. Sue was there. Yeah, it's not that he's thrilled you're there, but he's not checking it off going, okay, you're a little more favored. What he's doing is going, I'm so glad he's here because your praise, your worship, what you do here when you sing these songs and I'm, and get out of your head and get into your spirit. And I encourage you, get away from whether you like the song or not, but just put yourself into worship. And it is an act of warfare. In church, that's what God calls us to do on Sunday mornings. I mean, whether you like the warfare analogy or not, that's what scripture gives us. Scripture gives us all kinds of analogies. This is one. And then praise is a witness. If you look at what happens here, praise draws attention to God. It points people to look upward. When I started this, I said FDR went to pray and look to God in the midst of our nation's despair. Every cabinet member, staff, family, and friend that FDR invited with him that morning before the inauguration, stepping into this most unprecedented times, saw his face cupped in his hands. Goodwin writes um, in this, contemporaries were baffled and boggled, filled with a sense of wonder upon witnessing the leadership exercised by FDR. Franklin Perkins once remarked that every now and then Roosevelt would have flashes, quote, of the almost clairvoyant knowledge and understanding. I really believe when you say, God, I invite you into it, he at times will give you revelation understanding and people go, whoa, where did that come from? Praise catches the attention of others. Around midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Now, as you go to the very end of this chapter, you get this um, sense of this incredible reversal that takes place. They're set free. They find out there, and the, the city officials find out that these are a, that Paul's a Roman, and they're scared to death because they had just received their Roman citizenship as a city. To do that could have put all that in jeopardy. And they basically said, Paul, we're really sorry. Would you just leave? He forgave them, and he did it, and he accepted that. I just want to encourage you in this time that you will take the weapon of praise, enter into warfare, because there's something about walking spiritually where your head's looking up. People go, what's, what's, he, what's giving him or her that ability to walk through this? And it's God. It's God. He's going to do something.